0: Well, good morning again. So glad that you're here this morning. Uh, I saw something kind of interesting this past week. There was an online uh, polling agency that did a survey in the U.S., and they discovered that seven out of ten Americans made some sort of New Year's resolution. This is the last Sunday of January, and so uh, many of us, if we're we're anything like the average Americans, then that means that uh, 70%, roughly, of us uh, participated in that and made some sort of New Year's resolution. They went on and they gave the top 15 or so resolutions that were made. And uh, there were actually three that tied for first place. And, uh, you know, they all got the same amount of of coverage. And you could probably guess what those three are. Uh, They were eat better, exercise more, and save more money. Okay, those were the top three. They all had the equal amount of votes. Um, And then after that, the two that came right after that were get more sleep and read more. Uh, and and if, if somebody could figure out how to read while you're getting more sleep, that would be awesome. Uh, but anyway, you know we know now that we're at the end of January that according to the statistical information, they said that already nearly half of those who made some sort of re- resolution have already bailed on their resolution. And, um, and actually in two weeks, that number jumps to 80%. And so if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you made a resolution and you stuck with it, you've stuck with it so far, congratulations, because you're in the top percentile. Um, But I was thinking about this, and I couldn't help but think about why is it that so many of us even make these resolutions to begin with? And so I did, um, you know, as I was thinking about that, I did the, the super spiritual thing and I wikipedia did it. Wikipedia, yeah, I did that. Because Wikipedia holds the answer to all things. Um, and, and in the process, I found a, a really uh, great definition for even what a New Year's resolution is. And I want, I want you to look at it here on the screen. According to Wikipedia, a New Year's resolution is a tradition in which a person resolves to change... An undesired trait or behavior to accomplish a personal goal or otherwise improve their lives. I want you to just think about a couple of these phrases this morning. First of all, resolve to change. And, and then the last one, to improve life. Resolve to change in order to improve life. When when you think about The resolutions that many of us make, they all revolve around recognizing something in our lives that we wish were different. And so driven by the desire to change, every year, some of us, we make a list. Some of our lists are longer than others, but we we make a list or we make these resolutions to change certain things about ourselves with the hope that those changes will make our lives better now what I found really interesting is this the one thing that can truly produce change in our lives not only was it not in the top 15 it did not even make the list in other words Of the tens of thousands of people surveyed, not one single person identified what I am convinced is the single most important factor when it comes to experience change and transformation in our lives. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Uh, we're, We're going to put it up here on this screen. But the single most important factor when it comes to experiencing change and transformation in your life is this, time spent pursuing God's presence time spent pursuing God's presence this wasn't on any of the lists, but the only thing that can truly change us from the inside out and can bring lasting change in our lives and transformation in our lives is the time that we spend in the presence of God because here's a spiritual reality Some of you may want to write this down, but everything changes in the presence of God. That is a spiritual reality. Everything changes in the presence of God. Everything. Over and over again, the Bible gives us examples of, of men and women who, when they got in the presence of God, things just changed. Because everything changes in the presence of God. And so here we are, we're in the second week of this series where we're talking about what is it that we expect when it comes to God. And last week, we began by talking about the importance of expecting God when we pray. And, and by the way, um, I've got this little bracelet on. We, we had these little bracelets printed up that say #ExpectGod, God. And then on the other side, it just has our logo and says uh, cp.church. And many of you go grab those. Those are available for you. If you didn't get one, uh, they're out at our table underneath the TV. And stop by and just grab one of those and take them. And the intent of these is, is to remind us that we need to live a life of expectancy. That, that much of what we experience in life spiritually revolves around what we expect to experience in life spiritually. And so we just printed these up and, and I found myself several times this last week looking at it as I pray and, and I'm reminded, okay, I need to expect God when I pray. And so I, this would be really cool. You don't have to do this, but, but this would be really cool. I would love, even this week, to, to see, um, even on Facebook, social media, to see you take a picture of your bracelet and then post something that you were either expecting God for or you expected him to do in, his li- in your life and he's come through. And it would be really cool to hear your stories about how by expecting God and having faith that he's moving in your life. So I encourage you to do that. I think that would be encouraging for all of us. But we started last night talking. Or last week talking about expecting God when we pray. This morning, what I want to focus on is what would happen if we lived with this this continual expectation that we could daily experience the presence of God in our lives? What would happen if we just expected to experience the presence of God? I, 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 I just want to talk about that for a while. Now, for the sake of our discussion this morning, What I want to do, I want to begin by clarifying what I'm talking about when I talk about the presence of God. And so we need to talk a little theology for just a moment, all right? And so nobody fall asleep on me on this. This is important stuff, okay? When when it comes to the presence of God, the Bible presents to us two realities. The first revolves around what is often referred to as the omnipresence of God. Or or as some would refer to as the universal presence of God. Omnipresent is a word that means everywhere present. It's this idea that God is at all places at all times. A.W. Tozer in his book, Pursuing God, wrote this. He said, omnipresence simply means that God is here wherever here is. That God is here wherever we are. God is here. There is no place, there can be no place, where he is not. Tozier goes on to write, he says, 10 million intelligences standing at as, as many points in space and separated by incomprehensible distances can each one say with equal truth, God is here. No point is nearer to God than any other point. It is exactly as near to God from any place as it is from any other place. No one here is in mere distance any further from or anywhere nearer to God than any other person. So in Psalm 139, David, understanding this, he asked the question. He says, where can I go from your presence, from your spirit? Where, where can I flee from your presence? If I go up into the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. So, so the fact that God is omnipresent means that God is just as present this morning in the streets as he is here in the sanctuary. That, that God is just as present in the bar as he is in the church. That, that he's no more present here than he is in the prison this morning. Because God is omnipresent. There is no place that you can go where you can flee from his presence. There is no place that you can go where God is not. Now, sometimes we may be blind to his presence. So, sometimes we may not, uh, we may not uh, see his presence or feel his presence, but no matter where we go, we cannot escape the presence of God because he is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. Okay? Okay? So that's the first idea. The second idea that is presented to us is it revolves around God's presence that, and this is what we're going to primarily focus upon this morning, it's called the manifest presence or the revealed presence of God. The the manifest presence of God are those times when suddenly we become aware of God's presence in some tangible way. That, that word manifest actually means clear or obvious to the eye or mind. And, and so while it's true God is omnipresent, he is always with us, there are those special moments when, when the blindfold is just kind of taken off and we experience God in a very real and very powerful way. And the Bible is full of stories about people who experience the manifest presence of God in their lives. And let me, let me give you just a, a few examples. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses experiences the manifest presence of God when God shows up in, of all things, a burning bush, this bush that's on fire. That's the manifest presence of God. Later, the Israelites, they experienced the manifest presence of God as he, he reveals himself in a cloud that leads them by day and a fire that protects them at night. This is the manifest presence of God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, after Solomon dedicates the temple, we're told that the glory of the Lord came in such a way that it caused everybody to fall on their faces. Because that's what you do when the presence of God shows up in all of his holiness. And so they fell on their faces because they were experiencing this manifest presence of God himself. In Isaiah chapter 6, in the same way, Isaiah, through a vision, he, he experiences the manifest presence of God. And it causes him to cry out and say, woe is me. I have become undone. I am a man of unclean lips, living amongst a people of unclean lips. It was the the manifest presence of God. It was that same presence in Luke chapter 5 that that, that Luke talks about when, when a crowd gathered to hear Jesus teach. And listen what Luke says in verse 17. He says, and the Lord's power to heal was with Jesus. Another translation says it like this, and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. As Luke writes this, it's it's almost as if he recognizes that in this moment, something is going on here, in this moment. Yes, Jesus was present in this moment, but, but also Luke recognizes there is a unique power that is present as well. It is the manifest or the revealed presence of God. And it was that manifest presence of God that brought healing to the paralytic that day. It was the revealed presence of God that caused everybody, according to Luke, to to say that they were amazed, it says, and they gave praise to God. They were filled with awe, Luke says, and said, we have seen remarkable things today. What have we seen? Yeah, we saw a paralytic get up off his mat, but what we really experienced was the manifest presence of God himself, something that we just don't recognize and see every day. That's the manifest presence of God. Listen, the reason that this is important is because I believe with all of my heart that more can happen in five minutes in the presence of God that can happen in 50 years of living in our own willpower and striving in our own effort. More can happen in five minutes, and we can accomplish more in five minutes in the presence of God than I could ever accomplish in 50 years of determination and willpower and effort. You see, because time spent in the presence of God, it changes everything. And and if we really want to see transformation take place, beginning in our own personal lives, then in our church, then in our neighborhood, then in our communities, our city, our world. Everything changes when we get in the presence of God. The only way that can happen is by spending time and pursuing God's presence. When I I pray, I I found myself lately, as as I pray over our time together and, and just gatherings like this, I have found myself praying more and more often, God, would you allow us to experience your presence as we gather together? What, what we really need is not to hear a good sermon. What we really need is not to sing some good songs and hear a good band. What we really need is to just spend some time in your presence, allowing you to transform us and change us. This is what I pray every Sunday. Every Sunday. <laughs> I got here early this morning. This is what I prayed. God, God, would you just help us to experience your presence? Every Sunday morning before the service and our pre-service prayer, that's what I pray. And, you know, I, I pray not that, that you'd love me for my great sermon, not that the music would impress you, not that the lighting would look cool, or, or not, that, not even that all our volunteers would be in the right place at the right time. I mean, we try and get all that stuff right. But what we really need is simply to be in the presence of God. I mean, we can sing everything just right. And we can say everything just right. But if God doesn't show up, then we've wasted our time. We need to be in the presence of God. And and so we're going to get really practical this morning. I I, I just want to give you um, four things that I believe are essential if we are really interested in pursuing the presence and experiencing the presence of God both personally and collectively. And that, that, that order is really important because we, we first have to be willing to pursue God personally and experiencing Him, or experience Him personally before we can do that collectively. And so the order is important. But I just want to talk about four different things that we can personally do in order to really pursue and experience the presence of God. The first one is this. And it's just one word, and it's hunger. Hunger. we we, we, we got to get hungry. You see, experiencing the presence of God begins with our Appetite. If you look down through history, every great move of God has been preceded by a group of people who became sick and tired of status quo church. People who determined that they would no longer settle for a form of godliness, but they had this insatiable hunger and desire to experience the power of God, not only in their own lives, but in the world that they lived in. Have you ever been like like really hungry, I mean, I'm talking really hungry, when, when a person gets really hungry, they will do whatever it takes to satisfy their hunger. Those are the kind of people that God is looking for, I believe. I believe that, the, that he's looking for people who routinely experience the presence of God in their lives because they have developed a desperate hunger to experience the presence of God in their lives. When we, when we are hungry for it, that's when we experience it. This was the heart of David in Psalm 42. When he, when he cried out these words, he said, Like a deer longs for streams of cool water." So I long for you, O God. I thirst for you, the living God. And then he says this. He says, so when can I go into your presence? I I, I long for you. David says, you know what? I'm so desperate for you. I'm so hungry for you. I cannot wait. I am constantly living with the anticipation of when am I going to get be in your presence? It's what consumes me. It's what drives me. It's what compels me. I just want to be in your presence. I'm so hungry for it. Man, I don't know about you, but that's the kind of desperation that I want to live with. That's the kind of desperation I'm asking for God to give me. In fact, all this past week in my prayer times, I've been asking the Lord, God, would you just increase our appetite for you? Begin with me. Would you just increase our appetite for you? When we gather together in settings like this, would you make us so hungry for you that we wouldn't settle for anything less than being in your presence? When it comes to hunger... I'm afraid our problem is that way too often we settle for lesser things. You see, we cannot be hungry for God. We cannot be hungry when we're constantly nibbling on junk food that the world gives to us. Rhonda Huey, in her book, Desperate for His Presence, says this. She says, unfortunately, much of the church has lost her appetite for God. We don't even feel the pain of hunger for him. Listen to what she says. She says, we are starving for lack of presence without even knowing it. And so I've been praying, Jesus, would you create a deeper hunger in your church? And would you begin right here with me? You see, if we truly want to experience his presence, we have to become desperately hungry for his presence. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says this. It says, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. I believe this with all my heart. I believe that God is actively looking for people. Who, like David, will declare, one thing I seek, one thing I long for, one thing I seek, and that is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I I wonder what would happen. If every time we gathered together in this place, if every time we gathered together, we just did so out of a desperate hunger, not not, not just to connect with each other and catch up on our week, but, but what if we came here with a desperate hunger, expecting to experience the tangible presence of the living God personally? I believe not only would it transform who we are as a church, but it would flow out into our community, and it would totally transform the city that we live in. I have been praying, Holy Spirit, would you help us as we hunger and thirst for you just to breathe you in, and then when we leave, to breathe you out. What would happen if we came so hungry for that? You see, I am, I'm totally convinced that even though people may not understand it, what they desperately long for is to experience the tangible presence of God in the midst of His people. The manifestation of His nearness. The, the revelation of His love that is both real and relevant. But in order for that to be realized, you and I, We've got to be hungry for it. The the second thing, if we want to experience the presence of God, both personally and and collectively, is I really believe this, we've got to be willing to move. We, We first of all have to be hungry, but secondly, out of that hunger, that hunger needs to compel us to make a move. In in James chapter 4, verse 8, we're given this wonderful promise. It says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. Do you you notice the order of that? It's very important. James says, if you're willing to make a move towards God, then in response to that, God will make a move towards you. (laughs) Listen, folks. I'm afraid that way too often we get things backwards. We, way too often we sit back and we just expect God to make all of the moves. This is really important. Listen, God is a gentleman. And the one thing he will not do is he will not force himself onto anyone. Neither is God our butler. God is not our butler where we just get a sit back and we expect God to serve us. Again, God is looking for people who are so desperate for him, so hungry that they're willing to get up off their blessed assurance and actually make a move towards him. I talked a little bit about this on our prayer time on Wednesday night. Which, by the way, we had, I think, close to 30 people gather together for our first time just to pray. And and anybody that was here, ask anybody that was here, the hour went like that. It just wasn't long enough. I mean, it just went like that. And I'd, I'd love, y'all are invited. I mean, I believe, I honestly believe this. I've told our leadership, I'll say it, I'll say it, and I'll say it. And I'll say it. This is going to be the most important thing that we do together as a church is on Wednesday nights from six thirty to seven thirty to gather together and to seek the presence of God intentionally. It, it, so, so come, come, you won't regret it. But I shared this on Wednesday night during our prayer time. Oftentimes, when we talk about moving, I'm actually talking about physical movement. I'm talking about physically moving. You see, way too often. We try and separate the spiritual from the physical. But, but God merged those two together when he created us. He created us as spiritual beings. He created us as physical beings. And so oftentimes, we need to allow what we desire to happen in the physical, we need to let it manifest its, or spiritual, we need to manifest it in the, in the physical, that, that, that we need to reflect what we desire or what is happening in the spiritual in the physical. And so if we want to experience something spiritually, sometimes we need to make a move physically. That, that's why it's so important sometimes to get up out of our comfortable seat and move forward and to come kneel at the altar or come forward to be prayed over. Listen, there, there's nothing magical about these altars. They are wooden pieces of furniture. There is nothing magical about them. However, there is something supernatural about our making a move spiritually and humbling ourselves before the Lord. And I talked about this last week, but there is something about when we do things like get on our knees as an act of humility or when I get on my face before the Lord. You see, oftentimes it takes our making a physical move move that precedes our experiencing a move of God in our lives. That's also why there's something about when we we lift our hands in worship to the Lord. There's just something about that when we make that physical move. And I know some of us have been around the Church of the Nazarene for a long time, so maybe it's this instead of this. But there's something about when we lift our hands. The lifting of hands is a universal sign of desperation. Desperation. And when you see people, when they don't know what to do, what do they do? They throw their hands up in the air. I just don't know what to do. It's a universal sign of desperation. The the lifting of hands is also a universal sign of what? I don't know what I heard because I need hearing aids. But I heard a lot of different things. Yeah. But it's a universal sign of surrender. I just give up. Yeah. Is that what you said? Just nod your heads and and act like that's what you said. (laughs) But it is. It's a universal sign of surrender. There's there's another interesting thing about the lifting of hands. I remember when our kids were little, um, and and periodically I used to have to travel a little bit. And I remember this one time I'd been out of the country for uh, almost two weeks. And when I flew back into Kansas City, uh, Laura and both of the kids were there at the airport to pick me up. And and I'll never forget, I remember uh, Noah was, I think, four or five at the time, and uh, our daughter Sigrid was maybe 11 or 12. But I'll never forget, as soon as I came off the plane and Noah and my eyes met, Laura was holding him, he jumped out of her her arms, he came on a dead run towards me, threw his arms up in the air, and he said, Daddy! (laughs) I mean, it was a packed airport. And he could care less who else was there. All he cared about was he wanted to be in the presence of his daddy. Now, now Sigrid was like 12. And so she's uh, almost a teenager. And she had developed more of an awareness of who was around her. And and as a teenager, she didn't want to get embarrassed, you know. And so she responded in a different way. But, but the point is, is that she missed out on expressing and experiencing the love of her father because she was more concerned about what the people around her would think than she was about expressing that love. Now Now Noah turned 12 later and the same thing happened. He became more aware of the people that were around him. And I'm afraid that that's the case for us. Way too often, we are more concerned about what the people around us will think than we are about expressing our love to the Father and just crying out, Daddy, I need you. Dad, Dad, I need you. I need you in my life. I need to experience your presence. You are such a good Father. You're such a good Father. I'm afraid that way too often we miss experiencing the tangible expressions of love from our Father because we get way too concerned about what people around us might think. We're more concerned about that than just running to our daddy. And so listen, if we really want to experience the tangible presence of God in our lives, individually and collectively, we need to learn how to move. We got to get hungry we got to learn how to move. The last two things that we need to do, they're, they're so closely tied together, I can't talk about one without the other, and so we're just going to talk about them both together. But if we truly want to experience the presence of God in our lives, this is so important, we must learn how to first listen and then obey. We have to learn how to listen and to carve out space and time to listen and then learn how to respond to whatever it is that we're listening to. We don't want to be just hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. We need to listen how to, how, or learn how to listen and then obey. Revelation 3.20, it's a very familiar passage of scripture, and, and this is Jesus talking and, and he says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, if you hear me and then you respond, he says, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now, I think, I was thinking about this last week, and I think every time I've ever heard anybody talk about this particular verse, it has always been in reference to salvation. You know, that, 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 that famous painting of Jesus standing at the door of our heart and knocking. And if we invite him in, then he will forgive us of our sins and he will come in and we'll have a relationship with Jesus. And I think that that's, that's perfectly fair and right to apply to this passage. But, but this past week, as I was looking at this passage of Scripture, the Holy Spirit really spoke to me, and He said, hey, you know, this was actually written to the church. This was actually written to the church. This was written to the people who had already invited christ into their lives this was written to people who had already committed their lives to him but somewhere along the way they had stopped making it a priority to pursue his presence jesus is saying to the church this is a letter that was written to the church of laodicea and jesus is saying to the church hey listen i see the way you're living i mean you're not completely cold but you're certainly not hot either. In fact, you're just kind of lukewarm, kind of stagnant. And Jesus says, when I see the way that you are, you're neither hot nor cold. It literally makes me sick to my stomach. I mean, you become so comfortable that you think that you have everything that you need. He says, but you do not realize, listen to this. He says, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. This is to the church. And then Jesus gives this counsel to the compromised church. He says, do this because of your condition. Do this. Buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, white garments that you may be clothed, that the the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Buy gold for me, Jesus says. What is the currency that allows us to buy pure gold in exchange for our wretched condition? I, I believe that the currency of heaven is unreserved, Unwavering, immediate obedience. Because it's right after that that Jesus says these famous words. He gives this, these instructions. He says, Here I am. He says, Buy gold from me. Do this. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, then what? I'll come in and I'll eat with them. You'll experience my presence. We'll have this fellowship together if you hear me and if you respond. But we've got to learn how to listen. And so listen, folks. This is why we're providing all of these opportunities for prayer. That's why we're doing it. Uh, this is why you know uh, on 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 Wednesday morning, early at six thirty, a group of people gather together to talk to Jesus. you' all invited to come.' It's Sunday morning, Sunday or uh, Wednesday evening. And this is why you know on Sunday morning, this is why for just a few moments, we invite anybody who is willing to just gather together at the altar in prayer prior to the beginning of the service. that that time is way less about Hey, Jesus, I got this thing in my life that I don't know what to do about, and so I want you to help me. I mean, you can do that. But it's way more about that, and it's way more about just saying, God, I am anticipating an encounter with you this morning. The reason that I came here, the reason that I got up and got out of bed and drove across town and and came to this place is because I need to encounter you And so that's why I'm here. And God, I really want to hear from you. In fact, I'm expecting to hear from you. And so would you help me to prepare my own heart for what you might want to say to me in the next hour, what you might want to do in me this morning? God, would you help me to be listening for your voice? As we sing together, help me not to just sing songs, but but help me to be listening for your voice as I worship you. Help me to catch a glimpse of who you are. When the pastor gets up to preach, and he has this tendency to go on and on and on and on, God, would you help me to hear you? Would you help me to hear from you? Help me, help me to be listening to what you might want to say to me. I mean, folks, it's important that we do not just rush in here and rush out. We need to take a moment to prepare our hearts to listen and say, I'm expecting to encounter you today. I really believe this. I believe that every time we gather together, Jesus is knocking. Every time. If you hear my voice and you open the door, then I will come in and I'll eat with you and you'll eat with me and we'll get to experience the joy of fellowship together. But we've got to be listening. One last thing, before we're done, I understand that listening and obeying involves risk. Um, I asked our office manager, Dustal and uh, I asked her permission to share this this morning, and she said I could, and I noticed she's not here. <laughs> so I went, no. But she said I could share this but this past tuesday morning as we gathered together as a staff for prayer which has just become kind of our habit on tuesday mornings we spend the first hour or so of our day just around these altars praying together it's the highlight of my week um but as we came to the end of our prayer time Dustin she took a real risk um she stopped us and she said hey guys um I really need you to pray for me. She said, um, I, I, she had hurt her head had a, a few weeks ago, and ever since then, she'd been having these reoccurring headaches. And she said, um, I, I just felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, have these guys pray that God will heal you from these headaches that you're having. And, and listen, it took a risk for her to stop us And say, hey, I I want you guys to pray for me. It took a risk for her to invite us into what's going on in her life to pray for her. And, man, I hope that we are willing to do that way more often. That we're just willing to take the risk and invite other people around to say, hey, would you pray for me? This is going on in my life, and I just want to entrust this with you. you. Would you just pray for me? And so she did that. And we were kneeling right here. And immediately, when Dustin or Dustin asked us to pray, there it is, Dustin, Dustin, Justin, Doug. <laughs> so anyway, when, when Dustin asked us to pray, I, I really sensed in my own heart, the Holy Spirit tell me to lay my hand on her head and to pray specifically. First of all, to command that the pain would leave. And then secondly, pray that she would feel the warmth of his spirit cover her from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. And listen, I'm human. And so the first thought that came to my mind is the first one that would come to all of our minds, right? Is that just me or is that you, God? And so I I had a choice to make. Would I take a risk? You know, would I risk looking like a fool and saying, hey, God, i i believe i'm pretty sure i I think god told me this (laughs) but but i decided to go for it you know would i do that or would i take the easy route and pray a nice safe prayer and say god if it be your will would you help Dustin to feel better amen i felt like the holy spirit was prompting this to me and so i laid my hand upon her head and i'm telling you the first thing i felt was my hand got so stinking hot it was like i had one of them hand warmers on and I prayed exactly what the Holy Spirit told me. And Dusselin said, I felt this warmth that came over my head and moved down my body. And it instantly took the pain away. And this last week, you know, just to be safe, I, I said, Dusselin, how's your headaches? And she said, man, I haven't had one since you prayed for me. See, see we got to experience the manifest presence of God as a staff, as a group, Because number one, Dustin was willing to make a move. All of us made a move. We moved in here. We spent an hour on our faces before the Lord. And then Dustin was willing to, she was hungry for it. She took a risk. And, 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 And so we listened and we obeyed. And then God did what only he could do. Now listen, I am not telling you this to elevate to elevate myself. I'm telling you this, to elevate Jesus. Jesus wants to meet with us in very tangible ways, but he wants us to be hungry. He wants us to be willing to move. He wants us to be listening to his voice and not filling ourselves with all this other junk that prevent us from hearing what he wants wants to say to us. And he wants us to just simply obey him. Think about the song we used to sing when we were little kids, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. We have to trust him. We have to obey. I I, I don't know about you, but I've just kind of come to this point in my life where I refuse to settle for any kind of counterfeit Christianity. I'm 52 years old. I know I only look 51. (laughs) I am. I'm 52. And I've just come to this point in my life where I refuse to settle for any kind of cheap, counterfeit Christianity. And I will not settle simply for religious activity. I want to experience the presence of God. I want to walk in the presence of God. I don't want anything less than the life-changing, life-giving presence of God in my own life. And so here's my challenge for you this morning. Let's just determine together. I woke up in the middle of the night, and the prayer that kept coming to my mind was unity, unity, unity. Pray for unity, that we're all of one heart and all of one mind. And so my my challenge is let's just together just determine that we're not going to settle. Let's be willing to pay whatever price we have to pay in order to press our way in, to push our way in, into the presence of God. I think about the woman with the issue of blood who she was willing to push through the crowd, you know. And she said, there's nothing that's going to stop me from getting in the presence of Jesus. Why? Because I know that he's the only answer for me. And so let's, let's, not, let's not settle for anything else. Let's be willing to pr- pay the price. Let's continue to press in because it's the presence of God that changes everything. We can have the best programs in the world. It's the presence of God that changes everything. I've asked the band to come help us as we wrap up this morning, so I want to invite you to come. And Here's what I want to do. First of all, real quick, everybody pull out your Connect card. It's a little card that looks like this. Pull this out. And on the back of that card... There's a place that says next steps and opportunities, and so um, there are some opportunities for you to respond this morning. And and the first one is this. That first box says, today I invited Jesus to be the forgiver of my sins and leader of my life. And listen, you can do that right now. I mean, this is not primarily a salvation message, although it is, because we're talking about being in the presence of Jesus, right? Right? And Jesus invited everybody who is weary and heavy burdened and they can come and and he'll take your burden. And and so uh, this morning, uh, maybe your way of responding is just saying, you know what, Jesus, today I am making the conscious decision that I am going to make you the forgiver of my sins. I recognize that I'm a sinner. I've blown it. I've disobeyed you. I've been rebellious. And God, I want you to forgive me for all of that. And I want to invite you into my life. And I want you to be the leader of my life, that no longer am I going to make my own decisions. I'm going to try and get in your presence and hear your voice and then just do what you tell me to do. And so if you want to do that this morning, you you can do that. And just, just indicate on that, on that uh, box that that's the decision that you've made this morning, and then we'd love to be able to follow up with you and help you take your next steps. And so we encourage you to do that. The, the second one is this. Is it just says, I commit to memorizing Psalm 42, 1 through 2. This is the passage of Scripture that says, As the deer longs for streams of water, so my heart longs for you, oh God. There's something... There's something special about when we memorize Scripture, even, I mean, together. When we just make God's Word part of who we are. And so I encourage you to, to do that, as many who will. And then, and then you're invited Wednesday night to come and pray with us. It's an hour long. We've got child care. We'd love to have you here. And, and if you'll just mark that, that'll help us to know how many to pray for. And then if you plan on attending the family game night, Uh, We encourage you to mark that so we know how to prepare for that as well. But um, I want to give you really a a tangible chance to respond immediately to what we've been talking about this morning. And so I I asked the band to play that song, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and change the atmosphere. And most of the time when we sing that song, we kind of sing it in terms of, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Change the atmosphere here. But I really believe that the way we ought to sing that song is, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Flood flood this place. Change this atmosphere. But before, before he can ever change this atmosphere, he's got to change this one. And so here's what I want to invite you to do this morning. There may be something that the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart as I've been talking to you, specifically a move that you need to make. I want to encourage you to do that. Don't, don't worry about who's on your right or who's on your left or who's in front of you or behind you. This is an opportunity for you to meet with Daddy. And so as they sing, I want to encourage you. Some of you may want to make a physical move. Maybe you want to come and kneel at one of these altars. Maybe it's just that opportunity to lift your hands and say, Daddy, you're welcome here. I really want you to change who I am. I invite you you to do in me what you want to do. I just want to connect with you. For some, you may want to come. There's room if you want to come stand up here. But there's something important about making a move. It just signifies our hunger. And so the band's gonna sing that for us, and we're not gonna take a long time, but respond the way that the Holy Spirit prompts you to respond, and and then we'll 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 pray together. But Dustin, would you lead us in that? Why don't you stand?
1: There's nothing worth more than will ever come close. No thing can compare nor are living hope. Your presence. I've tasted and seen the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone in your prayer
0: You just want to rest in it, don't you? Let's do this as we wrap things up. Um, this 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 idea, of this prayer of unity, I think is really important. And so, let's do this. Grab, grab hands with the person next to you. Um, Let's even just, if we can, maybe even reach across the aisle. Make sure that everybody's connected to somebody. Give everybody an opportunity to just get connected with somebody. You don't need to rush if you're praying at the altar. Uh, You're connected. (laughs) But Father, this morning, I pray that this would be the unified cry of our hearts. As we gather in a setting like this, we come from different backgrounds and different life experiences and different, some of us, different cultures and, and, and different political views. There are so many things that we could allow to divide us. But Father, I pray the one thing that we would cry out and ask that you would unite us in, and that is to be committed together to seeking your presence in our lives above all else. Your presence changes everything. Your presence changes things within us. It's in your presence that situations that we don't know how to fix, all of a sudden you move and you do things and you begin to work and you do what we cannot do for ourselves. It's in your presence that when we have questions that we just don't know how to answer and problems we don't know how to fix, that it's in your presence that you move and you begin to work things out. It's in your presence that you take us and you gently and lovingly you transform us. You reveal to us things in our lives that that just aren't going to make our lives better. (laughs) Things in our lives that are going to hurt us and hurt other people, things that are not pleasing to you, and you gently reveal those to us (laughs) so that we can give them to you and allow you to transform us. It's in your presence that you begin to Work and move and begin to put things in us that we never even dreamed or imagined that you could do. And so help us to be a people who are committed above all else to just pressing in, paying the price, committing ourselves to we will not settle simply for religious activity will only settle for being in your presence and then from that would you use us to take and impact our city and our world who knows what you might want to do through some of us here this morning that would totally transform the world that we live in so God we give ourselves to you this morning and it's in Jesus name thank you for making a way through jesus but it's in jesus name we pray all of these things and all of us together in unity said amen amen hey when you leave don't forget uh take your connect cards and you can drop them in the bucket on the table by the sound booth grab one of these bracelets take it with you and uh, hope to see as many you can on wednesday night at prayer you are dismissed